continue our way through the book of Luke, we come now to chapter 9, reading verses 1 through 6. And he, Jesus, called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Your mission, should you choose to accept it. I'm sure you remember those lines from that movie. So you have been called and empowered to live your lives on mission. Can I say that again? You have been called and empowered to live your life on mission. Jesus was on mission while he was on earth. His mission was to build a community of believers, of followers, committed to living their lives on mission. That mission was the spreading of the message of how others could join that community. Jesus often referred to that community as the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And he would often refer to the message as the message of the gospel. First of all, Jesus called people to himself. He gave them an invitation and a challenge to join something that was bigger than themselves. And so to follow him, they must leave their occupation, they must leave their livelihoods. Some of them were fishermen. Others were tax collectors. Still others were in the farming business, but he mentioned to them that if you were going to follow me, you had to leave your livelihoods and your incomes and your occupations and come and follow me. I'm sure that you recognize that in these times, Nothing speaks to your commitment to following Christ as leaving your occupation, your livelihoods, your carefully planned out future. How many of you would say yes to Jesus if he asked you to do that? Just think about that and the real significance of that. Now Luke addresses two missions in the gospel. The first is limited to Jesus' 12 disciples. Luke calls them the 12. And the second mission concerns the 72. Next week in chapter 10 and verses 1 through 12. Well, not next week, I'm sorry, but in, future, in a future um, sermon in this series, as we come to chapter 10, verses 1 through 12, you will find that the 12 expands to the 72 whom Jesus sent out they were going to take the gospel message beyond just their local, local environment and take it 
to uh, foreign places abroad. Now, as a missional leader, Jesus was distinct from most leaders. Now, most leaders centralize authority around themselves. Jesus gave power away. He didn't keep it. He gave it away. He delegated it to others. He empowered others to carry out the mission to which he had called them. And so in our text, Luke tells us, and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Now I want us to notice, first of all, that the power that the 12 disciples had, the power that they were given was delegated authority. We sometimes call that derived authority. Now, derived authority never originates with the person who receives it, the recipient. It always originates with the one who delegated it, who gave it away. I want to say to us this morning that we who have been called to be messengers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we operate in derived authority. Whenever Jesus uses us, whatever, in whatever capacity, whenever he uses us to accomplish anything for him, we must never act as if we did it ourselves. We must always realize that it was done through us, but not by us. Now, the apostles John and Peter, they could not have said it any clearer than they did when through the power of the resurrected Jesus, they healed the lame man who was laid at the gates of the temple each day. And so in Acts chapter 3, verses, I'm sorry, verse 12, as these people are almost to the point of wanting to worship um, James, Peter and John for the work that they had done, Peter says this, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him to walk? In other words, it is not we who did it. God did it through us. Through us. And so whatever, whatever power or anointing we have to do anything for Jesus, it is derived authority given to us by Jesus for the purpose of carrying out his mission here at Brown's Chapel and beyond. Now, I found this um, quote from Grundman, J-R-U-N-D-M-A-N, speaking of the authority that we have from Jesus. He says this, All ministry, whether in Jesus' time or today, takes place in the context of delegated authority. Those who minister serve Jesus and are responsible to him. This does not mean that we minister without concern for the feelings of those ministered to, but that we are aware that all ministry involves derived authority. The minister is a steward and a servant, ultimately accountable only to God for how the ministry proceeds. Usually, being sensitive to that accountability means being sensitive 
to those we serve. In other words, we can't be sensitive to, to God without also being sensitive to the people that we serve. But sometimes, and this is the exception he says, but sometimes the constituency, meaning those that we serve, may be wrong and may need leading or instruction on the way to go. All that that is saying is that we operate when we serve God in derived authority. And so you and I have been all called and empowered to live our lives on mission. The same mission that Jesus introduced back in Luke chapter 5 and verse 10, which reads thus, Jesus himself speaking, do not be afraid. He's talking to his disciples now. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. That is the mission that Jesus introduced. Now, the Greek word for men is anthropoi. You got the word anthropology from it. Anthropoi here means human beings, not just men, as is used um, by, by Jesus, or as Luke interprets him to have said. Anthropoi means all human beings. Jesus was using the word catching within the context of catching fish. Matthew records Jesus' words a little bit differently from Luke's. He records Jesus as saying in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19, follow me and I will make you fishers, fishers of human beings, of men. And so Jesus has called us, you and me, to catch human beings. Human beings who will become a part of his kingdom. However, and this is extremely important, Jesus did not mean that we should go out and trap or trick human beings into the kingdom as we trap or trick fish into a net. That is not what Jesus is saying at all. Jesus has empowered us to win people by appealing to their will so that the choice or the decision that they make to receive Christ is a matter of their will and not a matter of our trickery. Jesus has empowered us to deliver a winsome message that will appeal to people's will so that they choose of their own volition to follow him. And so that is the mission to which we have been called, empowered, and sent out. That is the purpose for which Jesus has saved us. Now it grieves me to say to you this morning that many of us, many of us who are Christians, we have not yet caught that. We have not yet really understood that this is the mission for which Jesus has saved us and called us and empowered us. Let me say to you this morning that Jesus, Jesus has not saved us just so that we can punch our ticket to heaven. That's, that's a good thing, by the way. But that was not the only reason. That was not the main purpose for which Jesus has saved us. He has saved us to live our lives on mission, which is to be a fisher for human beings. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, 
is to be a fisher of human beings. Amen. And so that, they, so that the twelve could live their lives on mission, Jesus gave them power. The Greek word there is dunamis over demons. You get the word dynamite from dunamis as well. So he has given you dynamite power is what this means. Over demons, power to cure diseases, power to proclaim the gospel, and power to heal. Now, nothing attracts attention, people's attention, that is. Nothing attracts people's attention like dunamis, like power, and especially power that is displayed in the church. Whenever that happens, people become attracted by that. And so that's why more than ever, Brown's Chapel must be crying out to God for this dunamis, this power. Asking God to release his dunamis in our church for the casting out of demons, for the curing of diseases, for the preaching of the word, and the healing of the broken. Amen. Now there are two assumptions that we can make from Jesus giving dunamis to the twelve. And I do not make these assumptions lightly. Here's the first of them. The first assumption that we can make is that this dunamis did not cease, did not stop, did not come to an end with the twelve. Amen? This power that Jesus gave to his twelve disciples did not end with the twelve. That's the first assumption that we can make. It continued with the 72, which has now expanded to include us here at Brown's Chapel and all those who have been called and responded to Jesus' call to be his disciples. I can almost hear your surprised gasp. If that is so, then why aren't we casting out demons and curing diseases and proclaiming the gospel with power, and bringing broken people, bringing healing to broken people and broken relationships? That is your question, and I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> the reason we're not seeing that is because we do not yet grasp the reality that God has already given us dunamis, power. He has given us through the gift of the Holy Spirit who is in us. That is our testimony. That is what we testify to as Christians. That the Holy Spirit lives in us. And it is this Holy Spirit who empowers us with his dunamis to carry out his mission. I believe that we aren't working out what God has already worked in. We aren't working out and or exercising what God has already given to us through his Holy Spirit. I believe that we are falling behind as a church in the two most important areas of what it means to be the church. We're falling behind in our discipleship, which teaches us how we can have God's power. You see, that is the purpose of discipleship. It teaches us who we are as Christians, 
who we are in Christ, and it teaches us how to be empowered to live our lives on mission daily. Less than 30% of us participate in a discipleship group. Less than 30% of us. And we are falling behind in our praying together through which we receive the power, the dunamis, that the Holy Spirit gives. And less than 10% of us engage in the very activity that releases the power of God in us and amongst us. I believe that I have the God-given responsibility. Remember that we were talking about derived authority? I have the derived authority from God to say to us this morning that something is wrong with these percentages. Something is wrong with 30%. Something is wrong with 10%. And we need to correct that. Can I hear an amen? Amen, amen means that you're with me and you are agreeing with me that that needs to change. Amen? Amen. And so in his book, And the Place Was Shaken, John Franklin writes this, and I quote him. He says, what I'm about to tell you is one of the reasons why most of our churches don't have very much spiritual power. In times past, this was practiced, but we've abandoned it in our day. Please catch the intensity and conviction in my tone. And he goes on to say this. These are his words. The greatest workings of God come by corporate prayer, and we will not see the power of God in sufficient measure to transform the world around us until we pray together. And then he says something to me directly. I don't know that he knew Theo was a pastor, but he, he spoke directly this to me because he says, as a leader... You must make praying together on the same priority level as preaching. I was sharing with the board on, on Monday night that I invest at least 20 hours each week in preparing a message, a sermon. I don't invest nearly as much of that in praying. But he's saying here that I need as a leader to teach my people that praying together must be on the very same level as preaching God's word. Now that's the first assumption that we draw, that God's power was not just, it didn't end with the disciples, it continues with us. And the reason we are not seeing it is because we are falling behind, I believe, in two areas, the most, two of the most important areas of what it means to be the church, and that is, you know, discipleship. Keep that 30% number in mind, that needs to change. And in our praying together, and that 10% also needs to change. Here's a second assumption that I make from what Jesus said. The 12 were successful in bringing other anthropoi into the kingdom. What, what does the word anthropoi mean again in Greek? What's the Greek? What's the English for that Greek word? Human beings. So we can assume that the 12 were successful in bringing other human beings into the kingdom because their number increased from 12 to 72. Now, I did the ratio on that. I'm not very good on math, 
but that's six fish to each fisherman. Am I right? 12 times 6 equals 72. All right? That's a really good ratio to have. I want to say to us this morning, if Jesus were to approach us today and ask us as he asked his disciples, children, have you caught any fish? Have you caught any fish recently? Is anybody in church today because of you? Will anybody be in heaven because of you? How will you answer these questions? Ponder that. Ponder that. Now, I said there were two assumptions, but there's actually a third. The third assumption that we can make is that not all fish will take the bait. We know that. We know that there are times that you go fishing, and you throw out your line, and the bait is on there, and it stays there. Not even one fish bites. And so, when we go fishing for human beings, sometimes nobody will respond. In fact, they might be even downright disrespectful, and uh, they would be rejecting of your message. But that does not mean that we shouldn't throw out our net anyway. Don't take somebody's rejection as that you should forget about your net, put it aside, you throw it out anyway. Sometimes you will just have to throw out your net and then walk away and move on to the next human being who might very well likely respond to the message. You have no idea what will happen. But when you do that, when you go on to the next human being after you've been rejected, you can know that you no longer have responsibility to God for that person's soul because you have, you have shared with them. Jesus says, and whenever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. In other words, you are no longer responsible. You have done your responsibility, what God wanted you to do. Now, some years ago, many years ago, in the Virgin Islands, before I actually became a pastor, I walked up to a young man intending to share the gospel with him, to tell him about Jesus. And he asked me for my Bible, which I had in hand, and I, I gladly gave him my Bible, thinking that he wanted to read it, only to find that as soon as he received my Bible, he flung it away, my precious Bible, flung it away causing the pages of that Bible to become torn as it fell on the roadside. Now, that upset me. It did upset me, I must tell you. But I walked away. I walked away. And sadly, several months after that, I picked up the paper, and in the obituary section, I saw a young man's face whom I recognized. It was the same young man. He had hung himself in his backyard. And it saddened me, obviously, to see that his life had ended in such a tragic way, but it made me feel good that I wasn't responsible for his soul. I spoke to him about Jesus. I told him about Jesus. Now, not all fish will take the bait when we cast our net, but that does not mean that we shouldn't cast it anyway. Here's our second point this morning. To be faithful to the mission, and God expects us to be faithful, to be faithful to the mission, you and I must travel light. You must travel light. 
Jesus said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics, and whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And they departed and went to the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now, anyone who flies these days knows that all of the major airlines, they have revamped their policy as it relates to luggage. Isn't that so? You're only allowed one small item, all right? Maybe a purse, maybe uh, like I do, I, I have to take my sleeping equipment with me, so that is small enough. Anything that can fit in, into the overhead department or under your seat, you're allowed to take that one bag, free of cost. Anything else that is over 50 pounds has to be checked, and you will pay for it if it is up to 50 pounds. You'll pay $50, or anything over that, you pay an extra charge on that. That is how things have come. But Jesus' instructions to us, just as these airlines have done, is that you must travel light. Travel light. In order to live your life on mission for Jesus, you must travel light. Don't burden yourself down with excessive luggage, Jesus says. One tunic is all you need. Now, can't be that you're going to do a lot of exercise in that because that's going to become smelly after a while, will it not? <laughs> but one tunic, Jesus says, is all you need. Don't worry about taking a staff. Don't worry about taking bread or money or a bag. Travel with just the basics. Keep your accommodations simple and modest. Now, is Jesus saying to us, 2,000 years removed from that culture, is he saying to us that we must live by the letter of those instructions? I think not. Is he saying that we should live by the principle of those instructions? I think yes. In order to succeed in the mission to which Jesus has called us, we must travel light. Now, everything about these instructions says that we must live our lives dependent upon Jesus himself, our master. Because our authority comes from him, we must depend on him to supply our every need and not seek personal gain from the gospel. We must keep the focus of our mission on the gospel. We must declutter our lives. We must live simply and modestly. We must never do anything that would damage the credibility of the gospel. To travel light, we must lay aside every weight, the Apostle Paul tells us, and the sin that does so easily entangle us. We must lay aside every distraction. And so it is for this reason that the scripture gives us this important instruction in um, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And we're concluding with it. The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we, and he's talking to us as Christians now, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, every distraction, every sin that clings so closely to us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter, perfecter I'm sorry, of our faith. That means traveling light, keeping our focus 
on Jesus. We come to the bottom line of our message, which is this, that Jesus has given us authority to be his kingdom ambassadors. I want to say to us first in closing as, and as an application, I want to say to us this morning that you must first become a citizen. Become a citizen. One of the great privileges of my life was to become a U.S. citizen through naturalization. I became a citizen of the United States in 1998 because I participated in a naturalization ceremony. I had been born in a foreign country as a citizen of another country. But I became a U.S. citizen with the same rights and privileges as you who were born here. So there's no distinction now between you and me because we're citizens. Now the Bible says of you, that is those of you who are not yet in a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you're here this morning or if you are joining us virtually, he says of you, that you are strangers and aliens. Now, again, before becoming a citizen, I was given a little card called an alien registration card. I never liked that term, because the term alien just carries some kinds of connotations with it that I didn't really like. But I was an alien. I wasn't, I wasn't a citizen until I became a citizen. Jesus says here, through his word, that you were strangers and, and aliens because you are alienated from God because of your sins. But that is why Christ came, to make it possible that you might be reconciled to God so that you might become fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So you become a citizen this morning by receiving God's Son, Jesus Christ, into your heart as your Savior and Lord. If you're here this morning in person, and if you're joining us virtually, can I ask you this morning, will you do that? Will you invite Jesus into your heart and ask him to make you a citizen of heaven, a very child of God? Because you really can become that. All it requires is faith. You don't have to bring any works to God. You don't have to say, God, I'm offering you this in exchange for that. All you're doing is bringing your faith and your own unworthiness to him and say, God, I am a sinner. I deserve your judgment, not your mercy. But will you please forgive me and make me your child? I wonder if there's any person this morning who wants to do that. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here this morning, I want to challenge you. Jesus had a way of challenging people to do something that they ordinarily didn't want to do. Can I challenge you this morning if you feel that Jesus has spoken to your heart and you want to do that? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to put you on the spot. All I'm going to do is to pray for you. Can I see your hand if you want to invite Jesus into your heart today? May I see your hand? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will do what only your Holy Spirit can do. In faithfulness to your word, and with those listening being obedient to you, I pray that the Holy Spirit will finish what he needs to finish and do what he needs to accomplish. Because in the final analysis, only you can do that. 
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Secondly, I want to challenge you this morning as you go away to take authority. Take authority. Now those words still stand out in my mind today, 17 years later. In 2005, I was ordained as a minister in the Wesleyan Church. I still remember Earl Wilson. How many of you knew, knew Earl Wilson? Oh, he had just the richest of voices. People tell me that I have it, but I think he had it. All right? And he said to me in that authority, authoritative voice of his, Theo, take authority to preach the gospel, to administer the holy sacraments, and to perform the duties of an ordained minister in the Wesleyan Church. I still remember that. Take authority. Can I say to you this morning that you, sh you too should take authority. Take authority to carry out the mission of the gospel, the mission that Jesus gave you. Take authority to fish for human beings. Cast your net wherever there are people. Now, there are some of us who still wouldn't go into a bar. I would. But there are some of us who still feel like maybe... You know, we're going to lose our salvation if we did that. I would never go into a brothel, though, because I know that that is courting trouble, but I can go into a bar. But wherever there are people, take authority to fish for them, to cast your nets wherever they are. Take authority to be God's ambassadors to those who need to be reconciled to God. They may be your neighbors, they may be your co-workers, they may be even in your own family. And then I want to say, take authority to serve God in whatever capacity that he has gifted you. Take authority because God has given it to you, and so now you must take it. I want to close with this final application point. Restart your engines. Take a look at this video. Thank you. And now, for the most famous words in motorsports, from Marvel's upcoming film, Captain America, The Winter Soldier, in theaters April 4th, please welcome your Grand Marshal, Chris Evans. Drivers, start your engines! You know that those words... Uh, in the Daytona 500, the Indy 500, and every major uh, racing event there is. Start your engines. I want to say to us this morning that we must restart our engines. Again, I believe that discipleship and corporate prayer are the two most important engines of the church. I believe that the absence of either engine would be fatal to us as a church. If we are not studying God's word together, and if we are not praying together, our church will go down a slippery slope. And you know what slippery slopes are? When you go down that slope, it's difficult to rebound. It's, it's almost impossible to get back up. I believe that that slippery slope will not only be the weakening of our church, but it will be its slow death. 
It doesn't give me any joy to say that, but it, I feel like it is my responsibility as a pastor to say to us that as much as we love Brown's Chapel, and we love it, and I have come to love it as my own, if these two things are not, if we don't restart our engines in these two ways, we are going to be going down that slippery slope from which it will be difficult, almost impossible to come back. But if we do pray together, I believe that we can expect these things from God. I believe that God will revive us with his Holy Spirit. I believe that God will add people to our church in numbers that we have never seen before. I believe that God will empower us with his dunamis that his Holy Spirit pours out into us. And so I want to say to us this morning, let us restart our engines. Let us do it now. Let us pray together. God, in this holy hush, we dwell long enough to allow the Holy Spirit the space, the room, and the opportunity to do in us what needs to be done, to shift whatever mindset needs to be shifted, to change around any perspective that needs to be changed around so that we are in perfect compliance with your word. Lord, as we go away from this place, some are going to dissect this message in different ways. Some may even rationalize in many ways. But I pray that none of us will be able to escape the convicting power of the Holy Spirit as you show us clearly how we need to return to Christian discipleship and corporate prayer. I pray, Heavenly Father, that as we recommit ourselves to these things, God, that you would honor your word and amaze us with what the Holy Spirit does through his power rather than the things that we have been trying for years to accomplish, maybe in our own power. I pray, God, that you would turn things around in a dramatic way so that none of us will escape the realization that it was the power of the Holy Spirit who did it in response to our prayers. Thank you, God, for being faithful to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.